So women who are 10 years into their career are five times more likely to leave their employer than men. In terms of solutions, we're quickly seeing that negotiation can be a solution to that pipeline problem because it helps increase the promotion and retention of the very people you want to keep that will position your organization for future success. Welcome back to the Women on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Sam Saperstein. In this episode, I'm speaking with Catherine Valentine, the founder of Worthmore Negotiations. Through research and data, Catherine gives women the tools to negotiate effectively for the life and the career they deserve. She joins us today to share some negotiation tactics and lessons that we can use in our daily lives. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Catherine, welcome to the Women on the Move podcast. It's so great to have you join us. It's been a while since we connected, but I have always thought of our conversation because you are an expert in something that I think many people and many women you know, really struggle with, which is negotiations. And so I'm so excited to talk to you about that today. And I think our listeners will really enjoy this conversation. So let us hit it. First of all, I would love to ask you just about your career trajectory. You know, how did you start off in your career and how did that get you to starting your own company around negotiations? Oh, well, that's um, probably a longer story than we have time for. But the short of it is I was lucky to work at a couple of really amazing companies out of college. And then I went to business school. And when I went to business school, I was blown away by the fact that my male peers we're negotiating all kinds of amazing things, right? So if you think about like the basic business skills, I was like, I need to network and I need to communicate clearly. And I'd never thought of negotiating as one of those key skills, but all of these guys were doing it every day to get business school paid for, to have their relocation to business school paid for, which I had never heard of, to get to do a one-year rotation with a really cool company that was a client of their main company. Just all kinds of amazing things. I became interested in negotiation and then I tried it for my MBA internship and it was a disaster. I mean, it was really, really bad. It was probably one of the worst negotiations anyone's ever had. So that kind of led me on this journey of, you know, for a while I thought it was just me. Why am I not good at this? Why can't I do what I see other people doing? And then what I realized is when I looked at those other people, they were all boys. And when I talked to my female peers, they were feeling the same way I was. And so I spent a full year studying, just really diving into the research behind how to negotiate specifically as a woman. And what I found out is that the way that negotiation is typically taught is if it's a gender neutral skill, but it's actually a highly gendered skill. And the upshot is, which I was so delighted by, there is a ton of good research about how to negotiate as a woman. I just felt like it hadn't been really connected to the professional world, right? I'd been in that world for a number of years and I'd never heard of any of these things. And so that's what I try to do right now is take this research that amazing people are doing and bring it to the professional world. Was there a moment then where you were doing all this studying on it, which it sounds like you were doing it maybe for personal reasons, where you said, wow, I have to actually make a company out of this, start a company focused on this? There was, although it was more that it happened to me. After I did that research, I had people reaching out to me that were friends of friends or people on LinkedIn that said, hey, I have this issue. What do you think? And so for about five years, I was working with clients on the side. My insights from that were that a lot of the reason that women were leaving their companies were completely negotiable, right? They just didn't know that they could negotiate those things. And by the time 
sort of they had decided to leave, they were honestly too burnt out really to, to go back to the beginning of those discussions. And then my second insight was that it really wasn't just me. Like negotiation is this incredibly powerful professional tool that a lot of women aren't able to fully leverage because the way that it's talked about and the way that it's portrayed is a way that feels really inauthentic to us. And so COVID happened, which sort of COVID happened. I had my one and three-year-old at home who I guess were three months and two years at that point in time. And I needed to do something for me, right? So about once a week, I posted, I did a blog post on this research because it was my passion project and I loved it. And then Adweek ran a story and a few weeks later, Forbes ran a story. And that's when I was like, oh my goodness, like we could really make a difference here. And that was sort of my moment. And so out of curiosity, when you say, you know, women were leaving jobs, what could they have negotiated differently? Why were they leaving? And what do you think they could have done to stay and make it better for themselves? I would say that it's different person to person, right? It's very unique to who you are and where you are in your life. So 93% of professional women are burnout, report that they are burnout, right? This is from a McKinsey study, actually, that was done right before COVID. And so a lot of times, by the time I talk to this women, they're so tired that they just need to change everything. But if you kind of pull it apart, what they really needed was to not be spending two hours a day in commute or to not relocate their entire family because when they do that, they lose all of their support networks. So for example, I just finished a negotiation with a woman, we'll call her Jay, and she received an offer from a Fortune 10 company and then another offer from this really cool company, but the pay wasn't quite there. The Fortune 10 company required her to relocate and the other company was like, we'll let you come to headquarters two days a week so she can actually be more successful at her job because she has all that other support. So that's an example of things that are negotiable that we don't always think of. So can you tell us then about your most successful negotiations? You know, what makes really successful negotiations successful is understanding what it is that you need right now. I think our, our minds automatically go to money and that's important. I don't want to downplay that. There is a gender wage gap that needs to be paid attention to. So research shows women are more motivated by intrinsic than extrinsic rewards. The vast majority of the time, the things that make a negotiation successful are because you did the work to figure out what it was that make you light up. So tell us about the work you do, I guess, either with individuals like you're describing or with companies? Are you working with companies more and more to educate their employees on how to negotiate? You kind of hit on it. Right now, the business is, serves two different groups of people. For corporations, we have a four-part negotiation series where we walk women through how to negotiate specifically as a woman. And then later this year, we're actually introducing this new leadership development program, which I'm really excited about because it's based on six years of research that we've been doing here in Atlanta. We ran a program with 60 professional women and really traced what content we gave them and what the impact was. And over time, the results coming out of that have been incredible. So now we're going to figure out how to utilize that for a company to retain their high-performing women. On the individual side, we're introducing a new online course, and then I do coaching. And I should say too, that we will be working with you at JPMorgan Chase, part of our employee base that we want to retain and really train, which is our vice president level women. So we're really excited about that. And I am sure this is going to be the hit also. When you think of negotiation, does it mean to you someone has to fight or what does it now mean to you having done so much work on this? The best negotiation ends with both parties walking away feeling like they got something great. This can happen a majority of the time if we change how we think about it, right? So there's 
multiple strategies that you can use in a negotiation. The competitive strategy has somehow sort of seized our like cultural mindset. So that's what we think of. However, the collaborative approach works significantly better for women, eliminates the risk of backlash, and enables both parties to walk away more satisfied. So tell us about that approach. You know, what is that kind of collaborative negotiation approach look like? And how do you prepare for that? Oh, very robust question. So what it looks like is we have a conversation, we identify the problem, and then we tackle it together. So this is not you versus me, but us versus the problem. And once we do that, we can brainstorm. And by brainstorming, really expand the world of finding win-wins. And then a lot of it also is, you know, this is where you leverage the empathy as a woman to become your negotiation superpower, right? Because if I understand more about you and what's important to you and why you're asking for that thing, I can then come up with all kinds of creative solutions that make us both really happy. When businesses do that, that creates a world where the company and the employee win, which allows us to promote and retain women at faster rates. And so what would be a good example of that, you know, a business situation where, women are kind of coming in and collaboratively finding a good solution. So let's say, for example, that you're my boss and you say, hey, this big thing's coming up. I need this report by tomorrow. Whoa, I didn't see that coming. Okay. Can you tell me why? And you say, yes, because I'm going to this board meeting and I think we're going to discuss this topic. Well, that topic is only 10% of the whole report. I can say back to you, that makes a lot of sense. Let me get that piece to you and maybe you and I can even discuss it so you feel well prepared. And then if it's okay with you, I'd like to get the rest of the report to you on Friday just so we don't jeopardize any other deadlines. The priority is clear, right, for both sides. When you think about women's approach to negotiations, have you noticed that lessons about behavior vary across any other demographics? You know, so does race or sexuality, gender identity, do they all play a role in how a person approaches negotiations? I mean, all of those aspects matter, right? At the whole, what we're talking about is folks who don't as often see themselves reflected in leadership and who as a community aren't setting the ways that we do business historically. The good news is because fundamentally it's people who weren't the predominant group negotiating in the culture that was set by the predominant group, the same principles actually apply. If you negotiate collaboratively using a communal ask, it's still a really good strategy. And early research is starting to show that women of color who use this strategy actually get bigger gains than even white women do. That is great. So how does somebody learn about how to do that? What are the resources you would suggest for someone to actually learn about this more so they can apply it? There's some really good books out there that I think give a good backdrop, right? So this is Women Don't Ask, Getting to Yes. And then there's a new one coming out, Negotiating Without Fear, Harvard's program on negotiation has multi-day negotiation courses you can take. They're very much the gold standard. I will say I actually haven't seen very many resources specifically for women, which is why we're creating one. And we hope that that'll go live sort of early June. How do people practice this? You know, when you teach people, do you say, okay, go practice this with sort of the biggest thing you want to get this week? Or do you say, try a little bit to go for maybe smaller things before you go for the big thing? You know, how do you actually practice? So some people get really jazzed about going for the big thing. Let's do it. I had a client who negotiated a margarita on Cinco de Mayo and it's like, good for you. You know, she was scared of hearing no and she heard no and she found out it was fine. And then she tried again and she got a yes. 
Cadillac margarita. That sounds good right about now. And so does that help you overcome the fear, just that continual practice? It does help you overcome the fear. It also helps you really hone that skill, right? And I think that we have to overcome this idea that there's going to be a loser. And once you see over and over again that you can both be winners, you start to really master how to do that. So can you talk about how you think about sort of bigger things you negotiate and then smaller things? So I love that you put that out there because a lot of times when I say the word negotiation, right, what people think just salary. And that's true, but there's actually, you negotiate every day, deadlines, assignments, support, who's going to present at that meeting. And it's the accumulation of those micro negotiations that can really change a trajectory of a career and honestly lower your stress. I think of micro and macro in sort of two different ways. So for micro negotiations, the steps that I recommend are collect your data, craft your ask, and then get feedback because you do them so often that you can actually really improve quickly. And then there are macro negotiations, which is a more complex process. We actually have nine steps to that. And anyone that wants to dive in further is welcome to go to our website where you can find it. Okay. So let's talk about a micro negotiation and let's do like a little role play here. So let's say my boss has just said to me, I need to be in a meeting on Friday afternoon and that is my kid's birthday. And I was really hoping to go home a little early to be with the kids. The first thing I would do is understand why that meeting and why it's important. A lot of times when you ask that question, you end up finding out that like, you know, everyone is moving so fast in this world. And actually he didn't really need you. He just needs your opinion on this one topic. Or it didn't really have to be Friday afternoon. It's just that that's what somebody else has suggested. So if you can just take a second and find out why, a lot of times that will actually solve the problem itself. Once you find the why, if it's something that hasn't automatically solved itself, what I would recommend is put it in terms of a communal ask, which is, I would love to be there on Friday, but it's my son's birthday. And I think that you're just going to get uh, you know, more of me and a better product if we could do it another time. Would you be open to that? Right, right. And it doesn't come in and say, I can't do this. It's my son's birthday and I'm trying to throw a party and I'm already stressed about it. No. Well, and actually, Sam, what you just did is one of the things that happens to women, right? We don't think of negotiation as a possibility. So by the time we're ready to ask, we feel backed into a corner, right? It is emergency time. If we actually thought about negotiation as a tool that we picked up faster, we wouldn't hit those situations as often because we would knock them out of the park earlier on in the process. I'm glad you said that because when I think about the bigger negotiations I've had in my career, I have always felt like I've had them when I felt backed in a corner. So let's say you feel like you missed an opportunity to negotiate. So for example, I was in my annual review and I got some feedback and I didn't really agree with it. And the action plan was something I also didn't agree with. So I was told to sort of do something I really didn't think was going to help. Did I miss an opportunity? Can you go back and negotiate at a later time? Like, is it too late? No, you can always go back. I actually think in that situation, you're in a really good position for what I would call the feedback meeting, which is, you know, you go back and you think about it. And a lot of times, if you don't agree with those things, there's a reason that's not solely focused on you, right? There is proof somewhere. So think about it, find those things, and then go back and say, hey, boss's name, I've been thinking a lot about what happened a couple of weeks ago, and I wonder if we could sit down and talk about it. And when you sit down and talk, you say, you know, I've been thinking about X, and what I've realized in the past couple of weeks is that X, Y, or Z would lead me to believe that that may not work. I wondered if we could try, you know, Y instead, because I think that it would give our clients a better experience faster. What do you think? 
and then get their thoughts. The other thing you can do is just say, I didn't think that negotiation went very well. Do you have any tips for me for next time? And then come back to them a few months later and say, hey, I'm really excited about the potential of this promotion. Can you let me know what I would need to demonstrate this year to be a good candidate for that opportunity? You're acknowledging there was a negotiation that we just had, and it's now up to both of us to resolve a problem that I think exists. I think that's really interesting. I don't know if I would ever know to say that to someone. So as you're now going into more companies and teaching their employees negotiation skills, you know what benefits do the employers get, do the companies themselves get when their employees are better at this? More engaged, more productive, higher satisfaction, promoted at higher rates, and retained at higher rates. We should do this. You know, we're seeing that negotiation is a solution to the pipeline problem, right? It helps increase productivity, satisfaction, lower stress, increases the promotion and the retention of the very people that you want to keep to position your organization for future success. So in many ways, actually, it's sort of a no brainer, um, but it does require that, you know, companies are progressive enough to let go of an outdated model of what it means to negotiate. So you've written about negotiating when you're considering quitting a job. And it was interesting to hear that because I think people often view negotiations as something they do when taking a job, but you're also saying you can negotiate on your way out of a job. So I'm curious, what do women tend to ask for on the way out and how can you effectively ask for those things from the company that you're leaving? So I think the first thing that I just want to give a caveat here for is I want to take a moment to say that companies almost always want you to stay. And the reason why I'm saying this is because when I work with my clients, sometimes they're surprised to hear that. It takes a company twice as much to replace you as it takes to keep you. And they're probably going to replace you with somebody that doesn't understand the company the way that you do or the clients or the customers, right? And so if you can negotiate a way to do that, you know, let's start there, right? What would you need to stay and be really productive? Because a lot of times the women who are leaving their jobs actually love their jobs. There's just a couple of things that have made it feel impossible to them. So let's start there. If we've had that discussion and it's actually truly impossible for both sides to feel good about the agreement, then things that you can negotiate on your way out are things like severance, additional support or coaching to help you find that new job. Oh, additional education. People leave because they don't like their boss. They feel really stuck and hampered and right. people leave mostly because of bosses, not because of companies or jobs. So how do you negotiate your way out of that one? The answer is inherent in that question, which is how do you negotiate your way out of that one? Guess what? You don't like your boss. You can negotiate your way out of that one. And the way that you do that is you figure out where else in the organization you could add the most value and then start to have those conversations, right? And I wouldn't necessarily explicitly say it's about the boss. You can explain why. I have 10 years of experience in customer analytics, and I realized how much I love that. Here's some side things that I've been working on. I think I could add a lot of value there, particularly because I spent the past three years serving clients. And so I understand the story behind the data now. Can you help me think about what it would look like to you know, move my career into that department? Sure, let's talk about it. It might not be uh, you know, solved overnight, but over the next six to 12 months, yeah, we can get you there. If we can take a step back, what research tells us about negotiating as a woman is that one, you want to do it collaboratively. And two, you want to couch your ask in communal terms, right? How does it help others? You did an interview with the fairy god boss woman, and she said, I treat everything like sales, which is the best advice I've ever heard from a non-negotiation expert on negotiations. That's what it is. 
I love that. Okay, so let's get back to negotiating around compensation, since that is just an issue for women in general. How can women better calculate their worth? So the first thing I want to say here is let's scope back, right? So yes, salary is important and we should talk about it. But in my client work, it's actually almost never the most important thing, right? And so let's scope back and think about what else can you negotiate that would make you more excited about your work, more successful in your work less stressed, right? In a negotiation, you don't typically want to negotiate one thing. You want to negotiate multiple things because that gives you more space to find value with the other person. So I would go back and think about what can I have that would make me more successful in this role for this company? Once you have that, assuming that salary is one of them, which it makes sense that it would be. I want the sources out there. There's tons of, you know, online sources, right? What I have found in my client work is the best thing bar none is your network because those online sources aren't necessarily as specific as you need them to be. So I would go to your network and, and think of it broadly, right? These are people you work with, people you used to work with, people you graduated with, the career services of your alma mater. If you don't have a broad network, then I would hire a coach because that's an easy way to leverage a bigger network. But the important tip there is make sure that you don't just ask women. Women tend to have networks of women, but as a whole, we're underpaid. So like find some white men and ask them. Yes. Get the real value in the market. So that's great. So you go in with information that suggests your job is worth a certain amount and you are a great performer and you feel like you've provided value to the organization and this is what you feel like is a fair compensation. So I actually avoid the word fair. We work with good people. Everyone wants to be fair, right? And as soon as we we bring that up, then all of a sudden it's very easy to get defensive. The way that I would lay it out is I was looking at the data. I was really surprised to see X because I am a top performer and I was able to deliver, you know, A, B, and C last year. You know, what can we do to get me closer to that? Or even more boldly, I feel like a 20% raise would be a good market reset. What do you think about that? Okay. So I hope everyone's taking notes on that because those feel like very comfortable ways to interact with somebody. And I really hope that people feel good about that. The formula that I recommend using is your past performance plus your future vision plus the ask, and then stop talking, right? So I was able to do X, Y, and Z. I think that I can deliver A, B, and C next year, but I would need, you know, whatever it is, right? And then stop talking. As women, we continue to talk because we want other people to feel comfortable, but it, it also means we negotiate against ourselves too often. Because you might keep talking and saying something conflicting or just going down a rabbit hole you shouldn't be going down. I asked to work remotely three days. And then I see that you're sort of taken aback. And it may just be because you didn't know that's what we were talking about, right? You're sort of taken aback. So within two seconds, I say, or, you know, even just two days, even just two days would be helpful. Oh, I guess, you know what? If I do it this way, I can do one. I could really just work remotely one day. Do, do you think we can make that work, right? And all of a sudden, like- You've negotiated yourself away. I love that. I think that's very relatable right there. Uh, okay, so silence, stop talking, sit back, let them reflect. Because silence is not a bad thing. They are probably processing the information. And as you said before, these could be long-term conversations. Maybe you're going to resume at another point. So the average negotiation lasts 25 days. This is from um, Bowles, who's an incredible researcher out of Harvard. So I think that you know, it taking a little bit longer doesn't mean that it's not going well. It just means that we're all being thoughtful about arriving at the best decision. 
So negotiating as a woman is like this, it takes courage, right? And so if you plan a reward before the conversation that you're going to have afterwards, just for being brave, you're actually going to get better results in the conversation. So Catherine, you have a list of 60 things that someone can negotiate besides salary. And this is amazing. It's very creative. So talk about some of those non-salary negotiations that women should keep in mind. If you want to see the full list, you can check it out at our website. It's worthmorenegotiations.com and it's on the top bar. Just click there and it'll send you the list. So first of all, if you are negotiating, always think about things that you can negotiate, right? Don't just negotiate one thing, but negotiate three or five things at the same time because it it allows you to uncover more hidden value, right? So maybe um, you need me to start two weeks earlier than I want to start, but you're willing to pay a little bit more money for it, right? So that is a negotiation that we can have if we're talking about bonus and start date. But if we're just talking about salary, we're going to miss that thing that would make us both happier. So that's the sort of first thought. In terms of the things that you can negotiate, I'm so glad you brought up this list because it has been our top hit. Um, There are three sections that I would think about it in. The first one is opportunities to increase your impact. How can you be more successful at work? What do you need, right? Some people um, want to you know, sit in on certain meetings because if they know X information, it's going to make them more powerful in their department, you know, it's their job. Um, some people want high profile assignments or to present to executive leadership to be embedded with a client for six months because then they're going to be even better at sales. Uh, there's all pay for additional education. There's all ki- kinds of possibilities they're really endless, right? It's just whatever you can come up with. Um, the second bucket I would think about is the support that you need to be successful, right? So is it more people on your team? Is it a budget for the IT upgrade? Is it uh, you know more administrative time? What is it that you need that would allow you to deliver everything you can in your role? And then the third thing I would think about is flexibility, which is really just support by a different name, right? Um, But what are the stressors that you're hitting up against and how can you solve those? For some people, it's commute. For some people, it's childcare. For some people, it's other caregiving responsibilities. So for example, this was a number of years ago, but my grandfather passed away and my grandmother was living by herself in Texas. Um, I was in Pennsylvania at the time, and we were—I was just really worried about her, right? Like she was, she was forgetting to eat lunch, and she was all kinds of things that, um, you know, just happen when you're living by yourself for the very first time in 50 years. And so I negotiated with my boss to fly down, and I lived with her for a month, and I worked from there, and I still got a full day of work in, if not a little bit more. Um, but I was able to make sure that she was eating breakfast. And that she remembered to go to her doctor's appointment. Um, by doing that, what I was able to contribute to the company, you know, was vastly increased because I could focus. Um, and what the company got from me is endless dedication. I I would do anything for them, right? Even today, I would do anything for them. So I think a lot of women might be thinking about negotiating for more flexible schedules now as we come out of the pandemic and. We've seen remote work can work, and there's still things to be done at home and with children. Do you have any advice on that, how to approach a conversation about that in this current environment? I do. I think the first thing to just recognize is that you have a lot of really good tailwinds right now, right? So COVID has proven that remote work is not this like scary monster we thought it was two years ago. Now is the time to negotiate flexibility if that's going to be important to you driving impact and continuing to stay in your work. 
When you ask, again, I would use that communal sort of formula, right? So past performance, future vision, and what you need to deliver on that vision. So how does it impact your customer, your team, or your company? So for example, I'd like to discuss working from home three days a week. By eliminating my commute, I can put another five hours every week towards making X project a success. And because we're slightly understaffed right now, I think that's going to be important. And we talked about this earlier, but don't undershoot your wants, right? If you feel like you need three days to be fully supported and to do as well at your work as you are capable of, then ask for three days. Don't go in and ask for two because then you're probably going to agree on one. My favorite negotiations professor said that if I didn't hear no, I knew that I didn't ask for enough. I love that advice. I would call that level two advice, right? Some people are so, you know, as women, we we haven't thought about negotiating in the same way. And some people are so nervous about it that the idea of reaching higher is scary. If it's scary, start somewhere. <laughs> You're reminding me of all the things I learned, you know, years ago in business school. So thank you. Well, Catherine, it is a pleasure to speak with you on this. And I could definitely talk about this uh, with you for hours, but I really appreciate all your tips and, and really just what you're doing in general with your research and your work to help more women get comfortable with negotiations. So thank you so much for all your time today. Thank you, Sam. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Catherine Valentine. This really felt like a masterclass with so many insights both for employees looking for a more rewarding career and employers who want to retain their top talent. My top takeaway was that you can practice your skills on the small things that come up every day so that you feel confident in taking on bigger negotiations. The mission of Women on the Move is to help women in their professional and personal lives. Our goal is to introduce you to people with great ideas, inspiring stories, and a passion to make a difference. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe so you won't miss any others. For J.P. Morgan Chase's Women on the Move, I'm Sam Saperstein. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. is a member of the FDIC.